0: Every weekday, covering everything from Tarah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kivman. Great being with you here this fabulous afternoon. I want to thank Ken Spiro for this wonderful introduction to today's discussion, because really today's topic that I wanted to talk with you about is the Hasidic Renaissance. You know, we're now in the month of Kislev, and the month of Kislev is a tremendous celebration. In less than two weeks' time, is going to be Yud Tes Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, which celebrates the Rosh Hashanah, the new year of the Hasidic, teachings, it's a tremendous celebration in Hasidic circles, and Ken Spiro described a little bit of the background of what led up to the Hasidic movement, and considering that it's going to be Yuttes Kislev, this special momentous day on the Hasidic calendar in just a few weeks. I think it's appropriate to talk a little bit about the background of the Hasidic movement and what made this day a celebration. And when in two weeks' time, Yud Kislev comes around, you'll hopefully have a well-rounded background from the Hasidic perspective of why it's such a celebration. You see, we Jews... We are all types and we like to have our things and there's those who are like control and power. So there was power and there was controversy in the in the birth of the Hasidic movement. So what I'd like to address in the coming three weeks, today, next week, and the week after, when we talk about the Hasidic movement, we're going to talk about the what brought about the Hasidic movement. As Ken Spiro pointed out, the aftermath of the devastation that was brought about the by the Kmelnitsky programs that occurred in 1648, 1649, and maybe talking a little bit about that background, we see when the Balshemtov Rabbi Israel Balshemtov arrived on the scene, and how he initiated a whole new movement that breathed new life, vitality into the hearts of the Jewish masses after a really devastating period in Jewish history. The problem was. That it wasn't such an easy bed of roses. It wasn't a walk in the park. The teachings of Hasidus were soon regarded with suspicion, with skepticism by many of the scholars of that time, including the great Ga'on of Vilna and many other great scholars at the time. And Ken was describing a little bit about that, that atmosphere of some of the things they made fun of the Hasidim for. And we could talk about it, we could discuss it. And perhaps you could even share your two thoughts about it. And you're welcome to call into the studio. I'm happy to discuss it with you. The studio numbers is 010-140-3020. Or the free way of sending your message across is WhatsApp. We all do WhatsApp. It's easy, simple. Just send your WhatsApp to 061-895-1019. Again, 61 061- You should actually store this number on your phone, you know, so you'll just have it on speed dial or WhatsApp. You go into your WhatsApp and type in CHI-FM on the top, and it will always come up. So if you're looking for that number, what's that number again for CHI-FM? Here it is again. Get out your pens, get out your phones, type it in. It's 061-895-1019. Again, 061-895-1019 and your whatsapp will come through i'll be able to hear your point or read your point and uh, discuss it a little bit you obviously could always call into the studio to discuss it in person as well but there were many hasidic movements but it started it started with one hasidic movement started by the balshamtov he introduced this movement he had a student and successor the Magad of mezrich and from him branched out many other great hasidic leaders and lots of movements, each with their own philosophy and particular way of serving God. And what we really want to discuss a little bit about was that period, why it turned into such a bitter controversy and conflict. There's no Faribu like a family Faribu. And when we have Faribu within the the Jewish community, how it really was sad. But ultimately, the concepts and ideas of Hasidus permeated Jewish life to such a degree that no doubt today, every facet and aspect of Jewish life is no doubt influenced in many ways by the Hasidic teachings and the Hasidic approach. So what I'd like to do is go a little bit into the background of Yurtes Kislev, into the into how it became a sad day and how it became a day of celebration. We have three radio shows between now and Yurt Kislev. And I think this week, next week, and the week after, we could really dis- discuss it in the greatest detail, that will highlight some of those ideas. Now, you're all familiar with the name Schneerson, as many as the Rebbe's surname, and the previous Rebbe's surname, and most of the Chabad Rebbe's in the dynasty of the Lubavitch movement, and Lubavitch coming from the town where Chabad was located for over a century, many of the Chabad Rabbis and community leaders are returning this week from the Kinos Hashluchim, the international conference of Chabad rabbis that occurred last weekend in New York City. Today, and since 1940, Chabad has been based in New York City in Crown Heights with the iconic headquarters of 770. But for more than a century prior to that, Chabad was based in the town of Lubavitch in White Russia. What's interesting about Lubavitch to contrast it with some of the names of places that Ken Spiro was highlighting earlier, is that Lubavitch means a city of love. And the teachings of Lubavitch, of Chabad Hasidus, emphasizes a lot about that brotherly love. How do we counter faribbles? How do we counter community conflicts and controversy is with Lubavitch, with love. That is the philosophy of Chabad, unconditional love. So Rabbi Schneer Zaman, and that's where the name Schneer son comes from, because all his descendants were Schneersons, were descendants of Rabbi Schneer Zaman. He was a Litvak. It's interesting when we talk to people, oftentimes people say, I'm a Litvak. Litvak oftentimes, for some strange reason, in people's minds is associated with the Hasidically challenged movement. But that's not the case because the founder of the Lubavitch Hasidus was a Litvak himself came from Lithuania. Rabbi Schneir Zalman in the Chabad circles is called the the Alter Rebbe, as he's the eldest, the first of the seven Rebbes in the Chabad dynasty. And his position as the original founder, the first leader of the Chabad movement, he wrote many scholarly works that he, during his lifetime, and I would say the first and probably the most popular of his published works is the Tanya. If you haven't studied Tanya, it's time you jump on the wagon. In fact, there are daily stu- there's a daily a daily study cycle of Tanya. So many Jews study Dafyomi every day. The Dafyomi study cycle is actually newer. It's younger than the Tanya study cycle. And studying Dafyomi is a beautiful concept that in 7 years you complete if you study one folio, one f- complete page, two sides of the Talmud every day, one per day. Every single day, including Shabbos, including holidays, then you will conclude the entire Talmud after seven years. The Tanya study cycle is one which we study this Tanya daily and you'll conclude the study of Tanya each year. So it's divided as a yearly study cycle. So if you want to join the study cycle in exactly two weeks time on the 7th of December, on Thursday will be Yotas live when the cycle uh, study of Tanya commences once again. And you could join along in the bandwagon. Or you could join for the next two weeks and finish the Tanya and then start from scratch. But the Tanya is a real practical guide for the average Jew. And I say the average Jew because one of the names of Tanya is called Sefer Shal Benanim. When you study Tanya, you'll notice how Benanim is quite a lofty level to attain. But there's different types of people. To keep it simple, there's tzaddikim. There's the holy, righteous, pious Jews. And that's not who the tanya is written for. You know, Generally, if you're a pious, holy person, chances are you know how to conduct your life in a good way. You know how to overcome the obstacles and challenges of life. You probably don't need this book to guide you. Likewise, there's on the lower spectrum, rishayim, the wicked people. Generally speaking, those who are wicked don't really want this advice so who is this book written for Rabbi Schneir Zalman wrote it as a practical guide for the Bainani, for the average so to say intermediate Jew to navigate their personal journey in healthy spiritual alignment because don't we all want to grow constantly spiritually lifting ourselves this week in the Torah portion we talk about the ladder that Jacob sees in his dream and our sages tell us that ladder represents our personal ladder in life, our personal growth. And very important to always recall that in this ladder of life, it doesn't matter which rung you're at. That's not what makes the difference. What's important is the direction in which you're heading. You can have somebody on top of the ladder and falling down. They are in a much lower place than somebody who might be in a much lower rung, but is climbing up. So it's important is not the rung you're at, but the direction in which you're heading. And so when many people were approaching Rabbi Schneir Zalman and were seeking his guidance, his advice, he decided as a substitute for his personal mentorship to the throngs of people who were seeking his guidance, it would probably be ideal to write a book and in that book to include answers to the most prominent questions that people were approaching him with. And so the Tanya's influence, I would say, has been very significant in many ways and it continues to grow. I would say now it's 220 years after its first printing, 1796. You're looking at 221 years since the Tanya was first printed. And thousands of Jews worldwide study the entire book in the annual study cycle that I talked about. Many rely on it as the driving force behind their personal relationship with God. In this town alone in Joburg, there are so many Shurim and Tanya you can catch every day. Right here in Joburg, I know that there are a shiurim at Yeshiva College, at Or Sameach, at Eish Hatara, at Chabad. at the, Every Chabad center, no doubt, has a shiur, a discussion daily on the Tanya. And Tanya certainly can inspire a person to really grow in their personal life in so many ways and to help us overcome any of the obstacles and challenges we face. One famous teaching, one of the I guess just a little nugget from the Tanya teachings is the concept of moach shalit alalev, that your mind must control your feelings. Moach, the brain should be in control of the heart. So oftentimes we instinctively behave, but be- behaving based on our instincts is a very animalistic tendency. Animals don't think through what they're to do. There's an instinct. I see a kill, I see an opportunity, and I seize the opportunity. What Tanya teaches us is to think it through. Now, obviously, this sounds like common sense, but Tanya gives you the tools how to actually achieve this, that you think through what you do. And when you could be in control of your feelings, your emotions, when your mind controls your heart, boy, will you feel a lot more successful in so many aspects and areas of your life, both financially, personally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, in so many aspects and areas. But as popular as the Tanya is today, the problem was, in the time of its initial release, in 1796, life was anything but a bed of roses. It was not easy for its author, the Balatanya Tanya, Rabbi Schneir Zaman. It was not easy for those who studied his work, for those who applied the, the teachings of Tanya in their daily lives. In fact, the Alter Rebbe Rabbi, Rabbi Zaman himself, and some of his students, the Hasidim, were greeted with a heavy dose i talked before about the skepticism the cynicism the hatred animosity the the feeling that escalated into this large scale controversy and a total communal division and so i don't really want to focus that much on the division because i believe we've there's been reconciliation since and much of that has changed but it's worthwhile just briefly reviewing the events that led up to the arrest and ultimate liberation of Rabbi alman with which leads to the celebration. So just to go into a little bit of the historical context at that time, it was May 1798. I'm talking about the festival of Shavuos. Now, I know that I'm born on Shavuos, 29th of May. May 1798, the 6th of Sivan. There was a libelous testimony lodged against Rabbi Zaman It was written and sent to the Tsar's Prosecutor General. The testimony said quite a few shocking allegations were included within this testimony, and I'll share with you some of them today. They alleged that the Alter Rebbe was gathering a whole following of young Jewish youth. And he was training them to live a lifestyle of crime, of revolution. And he's indoctrinating them with a the support of revolting against the czar. Now you think about this. Communism fell exactly 100 years ago in 1917. My grandmother was a young girl of five then. And she describes to me of what life was like during those days after the fall of the Tsar. I'm sorry. Did I just say the fall of communism? <laughs> communism only fell in 1991, but I'm talking about the Russian Revolution was 1917, 100 years ago. Communism fell only in 1991. I mean, communism lasted a good 70 years from 1917 till 1991. But until the until communism began with the Russian Revolution in 1917, the czar was in control. But there was a fear. No doubt, there was a major fear that there would be a revolution in Russia. Think about what happened nine years before 1798. What happened in 1789? The French Revolution, right? And what happened just a few years before that, in 1776, across the big pond of the Atlantic Ocean in the USA? Well, it wasn't yet the USA, but 1776 was the American Revolution. And so revolutions were happening around the world and the Russians were concerned about any attempt of a revolution on their soil would be something that they couldn't tolerate at all. And so when the allegation of revolutionary activity was lodged against Rabbi Zaman, you can imagine how serious the Russians took that accusation. Here's a little text of the libel ...that was printed in a book called Karim Chabad. You could read you could read it online yourself. But here's just a little bit of the details. It says, In the Belarusian region, in the town of Lyajna, a rabbi by the name of, Shnei, of, of Zalman Ben Baruch has arisen. He is conspiring and gathering young Jews, all of whom are disobedient. And he is preparing lists with the intention of helping the French Revolution. While they wait to act, they do nothing except live as outlaws... "...and fill their days by indulging in various delights. They eat and drink opulently." Probably referring to Farbrangans. "...they go around idly." I'm not sure who that refers to. "...they lead each other astray. They steal and take bribes and disgrace all of their relatives. This person, the one who's signing this letter, is a man by the name... I'll tell you his name in a moment... It was, you know, when you read these allegations, you think sometimes this must be some kind of anti-Semitic conspiracy. Maybe Kazakhs made this accusation. The irony is this was lodged not by anyone but a fellow Jew by the name of Hirsch ben David of Vilna. So a fellow Jew, a fellow Lithuanian Jew, who took the opportunity here to slander a great rabbi and his movement. Just to continue some of the other things he writes, My own children have stolen all my money, the large sum of 10,000 rubles, and it has made its way to the Zalman ben baruch in Liajna. I have not been able to track down my children and the other evil people because of the bribes that they had given to the authorities. They also have advocates in St. Petersburg who protect them and their friends. They deserve nothing else but to be drafted into the army and to be sent to the front or perhaps to exile them permanently into the wilderness. And the allegations continue. And you could just imagine in a time when the Russians are afraid of any threat pertaining to a revolution, it's taken very seriously. And so not long after that, in September 1798, on the festival of Shmini at Simchas Torah, the Altar Rebbe was arrested. He was imprisoned at the Paul Fortress in St. Petersburg as a suspected revolutionary. And not just he, but many of the Hasidim from Vilna were detained then as well. So you're looking at within the Vilna's community how there's a rift and you have fellow Jews slandering with such lies libelous accusations and some of them they took a little bit of truth and just stretched it for example one of the allegations one of the accusations was that Rabbi Shneer Zalman is supporting an enemy country of the Russians because he was it was proven that he's sending money to Jews living in the Holy Land Israel at that time was controlled by the Ottoman Empire now the Turks and the Russians didn't seem to get along in those days not like they get along much today If you follow the news, you see how Erdogan and Putin constantly have it out at each other. And it was the same 219 years ago in 1798. The Russians and Turks weren't at best of terms. And when it was told that Rabbi Schneir Zaman is collecting money from the Jews in Russia and sending it to Jews residing in the Ottoman Empire, well, it could have been misconstrued somewhat as revolutionary activity, somewhat supporting an enemy state. And this all led to his imprisonment. He was incarcerated and interrogated, investigated all this time. Ultimately, he was visited by many prominent ministers, including the Tsar himself. One of the famous stories is of the minister of education who comes to visit the Alter Rebbe in person and asks him questions on biblical study and was very impressed with the Alter Rebbe's behavior. But ultimately, after even the Tsar himself visited the Alter Rebbe, and there's an important text where he says the, the conclusion from the czar and his ministerial cabinet said that nothing dangerous to the state has been found in the behavior of the Jews who started this sect, the Hasidim. And they gave them a name back, they called them Kalinim. Neither is corruption or anything else that disturbs the peace. And so the czar orders the release of the Alter What day did that happen on? The 19th of Kislev. 1798. Exactly 219 years ago in two weeks' time, November 1798. And of course, that day has turned into a day of tremendous celebration. It's called the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidus. It's still celebrated as the foremost Hasidic holidays in the Chabad circles. And you can imagine how his final liberation, his emancipation from prison that day, turned into such a great celebration. Join me next week. And when we're going to just talk a little bit about the Alter Rebbe's response to this. Think about if you were in his shoes. If you were accused of all these terrible, libelous allegations, accusations, and spent 55 days tormented in a jail cell. Not just you, but some of your important followers too. How would you react after that? And you're welcome to research how the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Schneir Zaman himself reacted. And next week, please God, we're going to look at a a fascinating letter that was penned by Rabbi Shnir Zaman. He writes this letter to his Chasidim to his followers, and just observe the strength of character that he had. The remarkable response to this episode that he endured, this harsh experience, but how he personally felt to persevere from there and not to perpetuate the cycle of violence of hatred of animosity and i think we could all glean some very important lessons and information about this dispute from rabbi shnerzaman's response and perhaps how you could apply it in your own life as well well i think that's all for today but we got a very important announcement to you